Our reading this morning is all of Psalm 96, and it's found on page uh, 499 in the Black Bibles, which you can find in the bookcase over by the door, page 499. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the Lord is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Connie. I'm Ryan Phelps. I serve here as lead pastor. We've been in a series called the Summer Psalms. We've been in the Psalms all summer. Just listening to that again. Uh, If you are are not a believer today, if you are just coming into church trying to get a sense of who God is and what he's about. If you want to know more about him, that is an amazing thing. The Psalms are an amazing thing, just listening to that. If you don't believe, then there are words on a page, beautiful poetry. But if that is true, if those things that she just read are true, amazing. We believe they are true and we are going to study it like they are true. And so let us go to him in prayer, asking that he would help us to see him as he is. Let's pray. God, thank you for your abundant mercies. You have provided to us all things. But we need some more. We need your help. We run from you. We hide from you. We do not seek what is best for ourselves, but you do. You always do. You give us what we need because you love us unconditionally. And so give us what we need now. Soften our hearts break down the barriers that we have between us and you, illuminate our minds, and give us your love. Oh, Lord, we need it. We are weak. We are broken. We know that we are strong in you, though, so make us strong. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's this guy named Athanasius. He was an early church father, and he said this once about the book of Psalms. Whatever your particular need or trouble, from this book, this book of Psalms, you can select a form or words to fit it so that you can learn the way to remedy your ill. Whatever your need or trouble, there is a psalm that speaks to your heart and provides you a remedy. And so depression, anxiety, grief, apathy, despair, fear, 
and worship. And worship. You must bring not just your depression problem or your anxiety problem or your grief problem, but you must bring your worship problem to the Psalms. As Christians, as people who live on this earth, we know that we need to worship and we need to worship the right thing and we need to know how to worship. And in that way, the Psalms are instructive to us and I think especially this one today. It will remedy this great ill that we struggle to worship rightly and man, it must. It must reach us. So let's jump right into it, shall we? Three points this morning as we walk through Psalm 96. One, the necessity of worship. Two, the mechanics of worship. And three, the future of worship. One, the necessity of worship. Look at Psalm 96.1. Hopefully you have a Bible sitting out in front of you. If you need one, you can grab one over there. Psalm 96.1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name. Tell of His salvation from day to day. What's the word that he repeats there over and over again? Sing. Sing, sing, sing. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord over and over again. When you are gathered for worship, sing. Did you know that everyone sings? Now, I don't know that for a fact, but I think so. Everyone sings. I've never met a soul who does not sing, maybe out loud or maybe in the car or the shower. Even my, i got to say this right, I'm in New England, my aunt, we say aunt in Washington State, my aunt, she hates singing, at least when anyone else is doing it. She cringes, but I know that when she's alone, she tells me she bursts out into song. So my wife and I are going to see a musical in a couple of weeks on Broadway. We're so excited. Musicals are kind of an odd cultural thing, don't you think? Musicals? They're kind of weird. I heard a comedian say once that when he ever goes to a musical, he wants to stand up and, and shout to the stage, to the performers, it's okay. You don't have to sing it. You can just tell me. Musicals exist, though, for a good reason, and it's because We love to sing. Singing is necessary. There is something about singing that expresses our delight, our joy, like nothing else. Every culture, every people group does it. Like that scene in Jerry Maguire, the movie, right after the main character, Jerry Maguire, he lands a huge contract and he desperately searches the radio for a song that he can sing his joy to. And when he finds it, he horribly roars with happiness, but it is beautiful. Sing. That's what the psalm is teaching. And so fundamentally, singing, or as we should say, praise is necessary. There's an internal and there's an external component to it, to praise, to worship. We see or experience something that is utterly delightful and good. And then internally, we feel delight and goodness. But then once we feel that thing, it must go out. It must be expressed, right? Externally, it must be expressed. The good and delightful thing experienced must overflow into praise, into singing, and into preaching. Yes, preaching. Everyone preaches. C.S. Lewis made this point years ago when he said that when we praise something, 
when we express our delight at anything, what we're really doing is completing our enjoyment of it. It's not, just, it's not just enough to experience that thing and then hold it in, like eating a good meal or seeing a beautiful landscape or experiencing the birth of a child, your first child. You can't just take it in and let it happen, stone-faced, apathetic. You must express it. You must sing. You must preach. It is not out of compliment, C.S. Lewis writes, that lovers keep on telling each other how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. So Psalm 96.2, Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the people's fundamental to praise is to share, to, de- to tell, to declare, to preach. Fundamental to worship is that we don't keep it to ourselves. Lewis writes again, It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. A friend of mine, he went to his first football game a few years ago. He's 63 years old. And it was a doozy of a game. He picked the right one to go to. It was the Patriots. I can't remember who they were playing, but they won in the last few seconds, the last pass. And he says that when they were there, he doesn't particularly love football. That's why he hadn't been. But he said that there was such great joy, and maybe you've experienced this, there was such great joy at them winning that everyone in their section jumped up and started hugging each other. Total strangers hugging each other, and he loved it. I think he loved that more than the actual game. Praise comes from delight. Now, it should not surprise us that the greater the delight, the greater the expression. The greater the joy, the greater the expression of that joy. A football game is a football game. Imagine, though, that someone found the cure to cancer and they told you, you get to share it. How would you tell people? Quietly or with abandon? The greater the delight, the greater the expression. But there is only one thing, the psalmist says, that deserves worldwide singing not a football game, not finding the cure to cancer. There's only one thing so great as to deserve the singing of the entire world. It's right there in verse 1. Sing to the Lord all the earth. What could possibly provoke worldwide singing? And the answer is only God, only the all-glorious God. Psalm 96.4, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. That is why we sing. That is why we declare, why we preach, because He above all things is great. He is beautiful and complex and powerful and sovereign. Simply beholding His face is nearly more than our hearts can bear. But when we do, we erupt in song. We erupt in declaration, in preaching. Now, though we we do not just praise Him for what He looks like, for who He is. We do not just praise Him like we would praise the Mona Lisa or Glenn Gould's interpretations on the piano of Bach. 
No, we praise the Lord because He is a person. And He is a person who seeks personal relationship with us. So you see there that it says we are to sing of His salvation. His salvation. God did not, in other words, just create us. He created His people. Stand back. Let it go. I'm done with you. He remained. Even after we fell, He remained. He stayed with us. After our terrible fall and rejection of Him, He remained and pursued and saved us. God, the greatest thing in the universe, is real, alive, and wants to get close to us. And so this being, this all-glorious thing, this person, is not just to be admired, but adored. This heavenly and bright Father is not just to be liked, but to be relationally enjoyed. Okay, recap what we've said. To praise, to worship, to express our delight, it's necessary for our joy. We have to express it. The greater the delight, the greater the expression of praise. We find our ultimate delight in God. Now let's say something, let's add something to this, to this and it's kind of negative, but it is true. Or understand it, we have to understand the inverse. That there is only one ultimate delight. God is the only one who deserves our highest praise and worship. And we make a mistake when we put anything else in this place, in God's place. That's the psalmist's point in verse 5. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. What is an idol? Idol isn't just a little object or big object that we worship, that we could worship. An idol is anything that we put in the place of God. Any, an idol is anything good that we make into a God. And so an idol can be sex or money or power or success or even family. On the one hand, those are not bad things at all. God created those things for our enjoyment. But if you take those things and you move them into God's place, when you dethrone Him, that is when you do idolatry. And that is the root of sin. That is why you do not follow God. You believe that those things that you love, that you've made into God's, your sex, your money, your power, your success, your family, well, they will satisfy you, not the Lord. And so you do not follow Him. Well, let's say it plainly that good things cannot be God things. And that's clear here that they are created things. And created things are just like us. And so created things can't sustain our praise and our worship. They are not meant to satisfy us. And when you try to do it, when you try to make something like sex or money or power into something to, to satisfy you and sustain you, it always ends Badly. Do you know who even knows this? Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins, the, the huge guy, the self-help guru. He says this about money. For some, they are so consumed with a hunger for money that it destroys them and everyone around them. 
Some are even willing to give up their things that are far more valuable to get it. Their health, their money, their family, their self-worth, and in some cases, their integrity. He is describing idolatry. He does not know it. Money and love and success and power, they cannot possibly sustain our praise. They are created things, but not God. He is the creator. He created the heavens and everything underneath. And so it is in him and only him that we find our meaning and our satisfaction. St. Augustine said famously, You, Lord, have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Do you believe that? Do you seek him? Do you seek the ultimate rest of the Father? The psalmist says later that splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. While idols can be good things in our lives, only God is good in and of himself. Only he can be pursued as an object of desire in and of itself. Only with God are there unending and wondrous delights. Only with God does our delight and praise come to full and unimaginable fruition. Only God can make us truly sing. You must ask yourself what you're singing to right now. What in your life have you given your highest praise to? What makes your heart sore? Maybe ask this question, what are you preaching about? Two, the mechanics of praise, the mechanics of praise. So have you ever had this experience where you're driving in in the car somewhere, maybe by yourself, and then at some point it occurs to you Oh my gosh, I am driving a car. Has that ever happened to you? You go out of the subconscious or out of just the unconscious driving of the car to, Oh no, what am I doing? This is two tons and I could kill someone and this is awesome. Driving usually is automatic for us. Worship is also automatic. We are always worshiping. We are always worshiping something, if it's God or something else. We are worshiping beings. We were created to worship, and so we will always look to think for things to worship. What does true worship look like? I like to look at this next session like the mechanics of worship, like lifting up the hood and saying, here is what makes this car go. Here is what makes worship go. Here is how worship works. And I'm going to give you four things. To worship, to praise is to glorify, offer, go, and fear. If you want to worship the Lord well, glorify, offer, go, and fear. First, to worship is to glorify. It's to glorify. Psalm 96.7, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Now, it's interesting. This language is almost verbatim. Psalm 29, same words, but that was directed, that was directed of angels, of heavenly beings. They are the ones who are to, to ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Here in Psalm 6, it's directed to us. We are to give God the glory He deserves. 
The word glory means weight. It means weight. God is waiting. Jonathan Edwards said that the glory of God is the fullness, the weight of his understanding and virtue and happiness. And so we glorify God in a sense when we put a spotlight onto him. We glorify God when our lives point out the fact that he is massive, that he is weighty. But it helps me to think of it actually in the inverse. We glorify God when he is weighty in our lives, when he is important, when he is central, when he matters. We glorify God. To you worship, to worship is to offer. It's to offer. Verse 8, bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Bring an offering. Bring an offering. This was the structured praise of the people of God in the temple. They would come into his courts bringing in some sort of offering. It was the response to his greatness. And we actually do that today. We just did it. We give our financial offerings. But it is so much deeper than that, isn't it? We don't just give our physical things, our gifts that we have. We are, we know, in Christ to give up our whole heart. So Paul says this in Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We offer ourselves as our worship. We don't bring bulls or goats or doves to be sacrificed. We bring our very lives. We are the offering. True worship demands that we bring our hearts before Him. It is to say, Lord, here I am and I am yours. To worship is to offer. To worship is to go. Worship is to go. Bring an offering and come into his courts, and come into his courts. Back then, you would have been standing outside the temple waiting with your offering. You would not have been able to wait to get in. You would, have not have, you would not have waited for God to come to you. You would go to him. You would run if you could. I love those videos of military members coming home and surprising their families. They've been at war. I could watch this all day. They've been at war, they come home, they surprise their loved one, and literally every time the loved one sees them come through the door and they stand there and they run. They run to them out of joy. Here's a principle of worship. Do not wait for the Lord to come to you. Do not wait for the Lord to come to you. Run to him. Go to him. Now I know we are a fickle, foolish people. I often expect God to come to me. God, if you really loved me, you'd reach out to me now. You'd show me a sign. But it is so foolish because we are staying away from the greatest thing in the universe. We who are hungry and thirsty, we stay away, away from fields of food and rushing rivers. No one ever regretted obediently throwing themselves at Jesus' feet. In their pain, in their misery, in their unbelief, no one ever regretted seeking his help and his care. I posted this quote to Facebook. It's a quote from Ray Lowe. He said, Sometimes my morning prayer simply begins like this. Lord, I'm tired and I'm grumpy, but I'm here again. 
God does not ask us to come in perfect and shiny and happy. He asks us to come, to come and acknowledge him. Even when you do not think he's that great, let the logic lead the way. Feast at his table. Go to him. To worship is to glorify, offer, go, and finally, fear. To worship is to fear. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. What does it say there? Tremble before him all the earth. All the earth. The whole earth should tremble before God. So what should you do? What should I do? The earth and all its inhabitants are massively powerful together. And yet they should tremble before the even more massively powerful God. And so how should we respond? With humility, with brokenness, with fear. Verse 4 said it. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Now listen, to fear does not mean to be scared. It doesn't mean to be terrified of the Lord. It means a, a respect, a deep, deep love and respect. You are to tremble at His beauty and majesty. You are to bow at His might and grace. You are to be humbled at His knowledge and saving power. You cannot imagine offending Him. That is worship. That is worship. To glorify, to offer, to go, to fear. And you can imagine what, the, what is tying all these things together is that worship is ultimately God-centered. Worship is about Him. That is our happiest, highest life. To go to Him, not to make ourselves central, but to make Him central. The mechanics of praise is to place Him at the center of all things. Is this true of your life? Is that true of your worship? Last thing this morning, the future of worship. I love this section. Psalm 96, 11. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult in everything in it. Then, the sh then, then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. Okay, stop there. Friends, there is no way to understand this text unless you see it. Unless you see it in your imagination and in your heart. Because that's what the psalmist is doing. He is seeing this. He prayed before the Lord. You can just imagine him sitting there, worshiping, writing, praying. And he asks God, reveal yourself to me. Reveal to me what it is going to be like. What is it going to be like to truly worship you? When all of our sin and shame, all of it is gone, how will we worship? And then God brings this to his mind, into his heart, these rushing images. It is not just that humans will worship. It is the whole earth. That is what the psalmist sees. And you must see it. The seas will roar, but not just the seas. All the creatures will cry out. All the whales and sea urchins and clams and dolphins and seals and squid and kelp. They will praise His holy name. The fields will exult. Do you see it? Not just the fields, everything in it, the bears and rivers and eagles and insects and flowers. They will praise His holy name. And then the trees. I don't know why He separates the trees out. Maybe it's because they, they gave life to the people at that time. 
They provided fire, shelter, sustenance. Trees for those people brought life. But even they are not the life. They have life because of their maker. And so even the trees and the forest will sing for joy. They will do what we are supposed to do. Here, friends, is our future. Here is what is coming. The whole realm of nature crying out in one voice with one song to their maker. Why? Why do even the trees and the fields and the seas sing and roar? Verse 12, let the field exult in everything in it. Let, then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. Listen to this. Listen to this. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Now that is not what I was expecting when I read this. I did not expect to read that after all that worshiping, they will worship because God is going to judge they're going to sing because of God's judgment, but that is exactly why they will sing. And it is because that is exactly what this world is missing. We live in a land where justice is not fully done, where bad things happen, where sinners by the power of Satan rule, where injustice happens not just to humans, but to the very earth that we resign in. Justice must come because there is not full, complete love and happiness. And so, of course, nature will cry out when God finally comes in his kingship to rule and reign. For when the perfect, loving creator God comes, he will bring justice. In his faithfulness, he will make all things right. The psalmist says in verse 10, just above this, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. As he cries out for God to come in justice, we must understand that if we understand him as the God of justice, if we love that sight, we will worship, we will sing, we will praise. That is our future. Now God is coming. He's coming in judgment, and you must ask yourself if you are ready. There are only two ways to respond to the coming judgment of God, to the coming of God. We must speak starkly here. There are only two responses. You will either respond in terror or in fear. And these things could not be further from each other. You will perhaps respond in terror. As, you, as He's coming, you will respond in absolute fear and terror because you are guilty. You have transgressed His laws. You have rejected Him. You have sinned against a holy and perfect God. You have a sin debt that you cannot possibly repay. And His judgment is coming, and it is coming for you, and He will judge you guilty and condemned. And so when He comes, you will feel a terror that you cannot imagine. Or you will respond in, in fear, in the fear that we talked about before, the deep, deep love and respect and happiness in the God who reigns. We know that God is not safe, but that he is good. And when you see this God coming on the clouds, you will be delighted, delighted that your loving Father is coming in judgment. He is coming in faithfulness, because he will make all things right. 
And you are delighted because you know you are loved by Him. You are loved by Him and you are not guilty. You are free. Your sin debt has been paid. Your Heavenly Father is coming to make all things right for you. He is coming finally. He is coming finally to make all things right. Terror or fear, there is nothing else. There's this place in the book of Luke, Luke 19, where Jesus is coming into the city, into Jerusalem. He's coming in on a donkey, and the people are praising him as Lord. We call this Palm Sunday, and they cry out to him, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And the Pharisees know exactly what they're saying. They're saying he's God, and they're having none of that, and they say, get them to stop Jesus. Rebuke them. And Jesus says bluntly and amazingly, if they do not do it, the rocks will cry out. The rocks will cry out. He is echoing Psalm 96, I think, but he is adding to it. He doesn't just stop at the whales and the trees, the roar, the seas and the rivers. He says that the very rocks, these hard, dumb things sitting there, inanimate, will sing. But only if the people do not. Only if the people do not cry out and call on the name of Jesus. That is our worship. When we call on the name of Jesus. We know that in Romans 10 it says that when we call on Him, we are saved. When we call on the name of Jesus, He pardons our guilt. When we call on the name of Jesus, all of our sins are washed away. When we call on the name of Jesus, we are made one with Him, His death and His resurrection. When we call on Him, we know that there is no condemnation for us. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. When He comes, when he comes in on the clouds, riding in in power, in strength and glory, we who are with him will not feel terror. We will feel fear. When we see Jesus riding in the clouds and we see his face for the first time, we will be delighted. We will love. We will sing. We will worship for he has saved us. We are at one with him. He has come to rule over us with peace and love and joy. We have no sin before him. We are free. We are not guilty. And when we finally make that connection, we will feel utterly delightful, fantastically joyful. And friends, understand this. In the future, you will sing. You will sing in a way you did not know was possible. For you will feel a delight that you could not know existed apart from our relationship with him. Let's pray. Oh God, may we see you now.
May we see you as you are. You are not safe, but you are utterly good. You are full of judgment, but you are full of love. And we long to see you. We long to see you as you are. Bring your salvation to our hearts. God, we all have a worship problem in this room. I'm number one. We long to worship things other than you, things in our lives that have been sitting there for so long that we think if I just go after it a little bit more, a little more money, a little more time, a little more energy, then I will be happy. Oh, break those strongholds, Lord. Break them by reminding us of who you are, what you have done. But mainly by your spirit, would you fill us so that we would have relationship with you. God, I pray for the future of this church. May we not look only to this moment in history, but to the future. Our job here is to proclaim, to preach, to sing out to the world that they may too see someday you coming in the clouds and sing out with joy and fear. May what we have found not be something that we keep, but that we go share it with the world. That we share it with our friends and our neighbors, our children, our co-workers, our family. God, that is true worship. And we long for it. We long for it. Speak to us now. Be with us now. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.